Hey, Julie, we're back. It's Sunday. Yes, made it to another Sunday out in the uh, beautiful Caribbean breeze. I think we're going to get a little thunder here in a little bit. I so. think so, too. Yep. So we are broadcasting live with our Diet Cokes and our wonderful Caribbean breeze down here in Puerto Rico. And it is a absolutely gorgeous day here. The sun is not trying to kill us today, which is always nice. Mm -hmm. And we have a fun, uh, Julie and I, believe it or not, actually have four things written down that we are going to share with you guys today. Because if you are a longtime listener to the Sunday podcast, it uh, is generally speaking a um, complete and total game of foosball in terms of ideas and mm -hmm. concepts and whatever Julie and I have come to our minds. But don't worry, just because we're prepared this time doesn't mean it'll be less weird. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so that, worse. that was your disclaimer. So what we talk about on Sunday and when the whole purpose of this podcast is what Julie and I have done for, you know, quite frankly, decades is we always take a, um, a day of the week and she and I always uh, go typically on a long walk. And we would sort of defrag from our past week and, you know, and then face forward. We wouldn't spend a lot of time uh, thinking about the past week. We were spending most of our time thinking about the following week and then whether or not, you know, we were taking the right steps the following week, what we had planned to take and that we're going to be commensurate with the accomplishment of our longer term goals, stuff like that. And it's worked. And then uh, every year, Julie and I also, and we still do this too, though now living in Puerto Rico, we can pretty much do it all the time, mm -hmm. is what we call our Harris Summits. And Harris right. Summits where we'd be where we'd get the heck out of freezing Ohio and we'd go someplace warm and we would uh, essentially, you know, essentially legal pad out what we were, our goals and whether we were on track behind or um, ahead. And and we did that for years. And, and the one of the things I think the biggest benefits to having shared goals like that, overtly shared goals, is it's been a real cornerstone for um, our relationship. I believe so, too. And yep. if you recall back to the original Harris Summit. Uh-oh. I do. <laughs> that was when we decided to get our real estate licenses. That's true. We are down in the... that long ago. Do you remember? We went down to Key West. Key West. And we are down... Do you remember the name of the hotel? Bonus points Pelican if you do. Oh, she does. You always remember. Pelican yeah, that's what it was. Pelican, Pelican something. something yeah. It's it's still there, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yep. And we were, sitting out, we were sitting out there and we were trying to make a decision what if we were going to get into real estate. And um, that's where we made our decision. So, yep, that was at a Harris Summit. Mm -hmm. But now that we live here in Puerto Rico and we live at the beach, we can pretty much do Harris Summits every day, which is pretty much what we do yep. when we go on our six-mile six walk. Yeah. So, so, listen, if you haven't picked it up yet, the Sunday podcast is um, not structured. And it's, you know, it's fun, hopefully. <laughs> or sometimes we get on a rant. So you you've been warned. That's 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 it. No more disclaimer. You have been completely that's conditioned right. for whatever insanity comes out of our mouths. Starting with, it turns out that, and we mentioned this on our daily podcast. By the way, if you want to listen to the non-insane version of our podcast, just listen to the <laughs> podcast we that during the just week. In case God right. help them, this is our, their first one. Yeah, our podcast is the number one listened to daily podcast for real estate agents in at least the United States. And if you want to get real estate training and motivation and mindset stuff, listen to that one. Um, on this one, we get to talk about fun things like aliens. I'm ready to rumble. It's oh, right no. Were you really knowing I was going to bring that up first? I, you I do. You have it in your mind. That's all. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Aliens. So, yes, the Pentagon <laughs> to launch task force to investigate UFO sightings. Yes, they actually called it UFO sightings. The Pentagon is forming a new task force to investigate UFOs that have been observed by U.S. military aircraft, according to defense officials. Deputy Secretary of Defense David Norquist will help oversee the task force, which is expected to be officially unveiled in the next few days. Now, we talked about this probably a month ago. But now they're making it official, and it's an actual investigation that they are actually talking about. 
Uh, previous efforts to look into what the Pentagon dumb, dubs unidentified aerial phenomena were led by the Navy, as many of the documented encounters involved their aircraft. Uh, of course, the DOD did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Um, let's see, both members of Congress and the Pentagon have long expressed concerns about the appearance of unidentified aircraft, specifically because they're flying over U.S. military bases, posting a risk to our military jets. No consensus on the origin, uh, with some believing they may be drones potentially operated by our earthly adversaries seeking to gather intelligence rather than extraterrestrials, but we're now going to actually investigate this. Um, on, let's see, there's a lot of places this has been posted, so there are the actual videos um, with the Navy pilots talking about, holy cow, how can it be flying like that? So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, well, this goes from basically being conspiracy theory. Now uh, it's, it's it's a fact, and you're going to start seeing more and more reports like this. Now, the conspiracy theory that you can draw into this is a lot of conspiracy theorists, because I researched this for Julie last week, because mm -hmm. she's really into nerdy stuff, as longtime okay. listeners will know. Um, is that they were the theorists, the conspiracy theorists are guessing that there's going to be some sort of big uh, mass reporting of aliens to try to implement more government control. So it's a, if people are fearful and they're unified in their fear, um, right now we're sort of in like the country. We, like we need more of that. Right, well, but <laughs> the unification of yeah. the fear would be uh, all true. humans against aliens, right? Well, that's true. And now it's all... Something we can agree on. Exactly, something everyone can agree on, right? And it's not going to be social stuff. It's not necessarily going to be all these things that are Political. sort of dividing us right now. But the theory is is that there's going to be some sort of big rollout of... Uh, it's going to be a false flag and blah, blah, blah. You guys can research this on your own if you really want to go down a rabbit hole. But it is fascinating how these stories are coming out and how they're essentially saying... Actually, there was a quote in there by Marco Rubio. Did yeah, you read I that? Can find that. Hang on. I thought it was a really good quote. I'll find it while you're talking. He, I'll, I'll summarize it. He said that the fear isn't that they're aliens. He said that it's a lesser concern that they're actually aliens visiting us than it is that, uh, say, Russia or China has technology that's that advanced over what we have. That's yes, what he we said. Have, we have things flying over our military bases and places where we're conducting military exercises, and we don't know what it is, and it isn't ours. So that is a legitimate question to ask, Marco Rubio says. Frankly, if it's something from outside this planet, it might actually be better than the fact that we've seen some sort of technological leap on behalf of Chinese or Russians or some other adversary, he added. So he's saying it might be better if it's aliens. Yeah. <laughs> There's that. Okay. Well, so there you go. Um, live from 2020. Live from 2020. That's right. Just a normal Monday. Um, now, I also read another article. Actually, I was listening to Peter Schiff's podcast is where I got this. And did you say, open up your chat because I sent you all the bullets of what he was talking about. It, this is kind of a fascinating thing. And Julie and the I watched this. Thing are you talking about? Uh, yeah, the tax thing. Julie and I have been watching a lot of the uh, and thinking about the ramifications of the COVID and all the money printing. Something like oh, it's close to $18 trillion has essentially been yeah. Uh, pumped into the economy in one form or another since March. And that's never happened before. There's no historical precedent for it. Um, there's just, there is nothing like this that's ever happened in the history of humanity where the government is essentially, where any government has essentially pumped up the economy this much with all this money printing. And what's interesting to me is that I'm seeing a, um, a lot of very well-respected economists now that are uh, like Mark Zandi came out last week and he said that it's possible that there was that, that there was a recession that came on incredibly fast, like in a month, and then left incredibly fast and like uh, two months later. 
Yeah. And they're and they're guessing and they're theorizing that that is going to be um, something that'll show that the in the future a month from now, two months from now, we'll be looking back and realizing that we were in a recession and that we're out of a recession because all the leading indicators are pointing to the fact that the economy's turned around and whatever, whatever. But the one thing that none of these guys take into consideration, and I've read, I probably read 10 articles just from different people that were, because I'm hoping that's true, right? I mean, I'm an optimist. I don't want there to be a a recession or a depression. So I'm hoping to find evidence that that's true. Um, So in researching this, one of the things that none of these guys take into consideration, and they don't even mention it, is the fact that the money that was printed, the almost $20 trillion that was printed and injected into the economy in one form or another, had that money not been printed in, they sort of infer this, that there would have been a recession or would have been a depression. But the money is still there. The money has not been taken out. So for them to say that we're not going to be experiencing some sort of recession or depression, it doesn't make any sense because as long as there's $20 trillion that got injected in the economy, where's that money going? It went to inflating things like, guess what? Real estate. It went to inflating stock prices. I saw, um, I like to watch certain uh, collector cars and I like old Porsche 911s, right? So I've been watching old Porsche 911 values because those are a leading indicator. People, generally speaking, don't buy old, especially expensive cars unless they're feeling optimistic. Well, guess what? During March and April and you know February, the prices plummeted, and now they're on the way back up. And that's because people are feeling more optimistic, and they're feeling more optimistic because they're seeing the things like their stock market portfolio go up, and they're seeing things like their asset values go up. So it's all psychological. But here's the big question. There was, and you know, still is, nearly $20 trillion that was pumped into the economy, and the Fed was buying corporate bonds. The Fed was essentially buying its own treasury notes. The Fed has been essentially, it's been the massive backstop that's kept it. Right, its own best customer. It's, it's been keeping the economy from sliding in a sort of recession or depression. Great. Okay, I'll hang my hat on that. I'm, that's fantastic. But what happens if they stop? Well, the answer is they can't stop. The answer is they're always going to be there. They're always going to have to continue to inject money into uh, the overall economy. That's going to be something that's going to last forever until people stop wanting to buy the debt. Like there was a, a treasury auction that happened, I think it was last week, where in essence there were no bids or it's close to no bids. In other words, people aren't willing to buy long-term U.S. treasuries. They're not willing to – and that is translated as that's a way of saying that they're not willing to loan their money to the U.S. government because they don't fear they fear they're not going to get their money back or at least they're not going to get the return of investment of what that you know Treasury bond was supposed to yield. So that is something that's very fascinating because what's happening is the Treasury Department itself is purchasing its own debt. Long story short is nobody really knows what's going to happen next, but the idea that we're not going to be experiencing some sort of um, longer term, you know massive shift in the economy because of this 20 trillion and because of all the other uh, all the other fallout from covid and whatnot i don't think it's it doesn't even make any sense there's still double digit in, uh, unemployment and there, we're still not even seeing the full uh, effect of all the shutdowns many parts of the country are still in shutdown if you're in california you're still in shutdown right and so people there you remember you guys remember zombie houses they called them zombie mm-hmm. homeowners homeowners that were living in or, you know mortgages that were essentially zombified they were not 
there, there weren't in foreclosure. The people were still living in the houses. The houses were vacant. That was a carryover term from the housing crash. Well, now you're seeing zombified cities and states, and you're seeing zombified businesses. People that, if the money goes away, the money that's being injected into the economy goes away, they're out of business. And so how many businesses right now are zombified? Restaurants and whatnot are always the go-to example. How many of those businesses right now are just waiting and a matter of a month or two are going to start declaring themselves unable to go back at, at you know where they were operationally before? Um, and then there's something that I was reading that another theory, and I thought this one was particularly gross to be honest with you, is that the what we're seeing essentially is that the people that have money that weren't dependent on jobs like restaurant workers and whatnot are able to spend money and they're spending money in such a way that they're the ones that are actually keeping the economy afloat and they're the ones that are causing this, you know, hypothetically the shortest lived recession in the history of the United States. In other words, there's so many people out there that are spending money that it makes up for the people that aren't and these same economists and some of them rather overtly are saying that the people who aren't spending money effectively don't matter for the sake of the economy. In other words, this is the bifurcation that um, you know Julie and I are seeing in real estate, and this is now a sort of a, a formalization of maybe a bifurcated approach to thinking of the economy. So, if that were to carry true, if these economists start you know theorizing that there's the people in the United States that have money and matter, and the rest of them don't, that's that's bad. I mean, you're talking about more massive social uh, unrest and more people feeling like they've been left out of the American dream. It's just it's just all nuttiness that comes from the fact that at the end of the day, the economy is now being artificially inflated by $20 trillion of money, and they're not going to take that money out. The way they would do that is by raising rates and you know essentially slowing down the velocity of money and all these other economic theories that I don't understand. Um, and yeah, they're not going to do it. So rates are going to stay low. People are still going to be encouraged to spend money. There's really no... No, no matter who wins the election um, in uh, November, there is absolutely no indication that either side are going to do anything to slow down whatever you want to call it, the quantitative easing or the CARES Act money or the whatever, whatever. There's still going to be more and more money pu- pumped into the economy and uh, provided that the U.S. can essentially raise money by selling its own debt, which right now it's doing so in this way that's never been done before by buying its own debt, which if you guys think about that, it's like if I wanted to borrow ten thousand um, dollars, and I need to buy, you know, borrow ten thousand dollars to go out and buy a car. Let's say, I go to my printer and I print ten thousand dollars in essence, and I'm able to print my own money, and then with that money I can go out and buy a car, not just a car, but I can buy every car in the face of the planet if I wanted to, because my printer, because print my printer never runs out of ink. You guys get it? That's what's happening right now, and there's nothing that backs my goal or nothing that backs my money. Sorry, so I ha- there's there, it's not like I. Okay, in order for you to print out $10,000, Tim, you need to have $10,000 of the gold in a box. No, it doesn't work like that anymore. It's completely backed by just the faith and confidence of everyone who takes the U.S. dollars. So if people stop believing that the U.S. dollars, you know, I have my, you know, I want to buy a car from Bob. It's ten thousand dollars. I have ten thousand U.S. dollars. If Bob doesn't believe that that ten thousand dollars that I'm about to give him is going to have the same um, buying power and same value in essence of his as his car, he's not going to want my money. And so that's the type of thing that starts to happen in, in a, a inflation and that's you know it guys it's a big mess so the idea that somehow we're through that 
considering all the things that are yet unresolved, uh, is, is nuts. So we are going to stick with our very conservative message, financially, fiscally conservative message here, not politically, listeners. Don't be hypersensitive to that word. But we're going to stick to our hoping for the best and being pre- uh, prepared for the worst philosophy of business and life because really there's no downside in thinking and acting like that. Yes, and yet, do you want to talk about any of these tax things that are on the horizon? Yeah, so, I mean, this is something I actually is apprehensive even to share this with them, but I think we should. They should know, especially if they live in California. A few other states probably act the same. We told you guys about this um, a couple weeks ago on the Sunday show. We don't talk about this stuff on the normal show. A little heavy reading and listening, I think. But we were theorizing after, again, having read a bunch of articles and talked to a bunch of people we know, how the states are going to recoup the losses that they have from not having sales tax because the COVID has basically caused a lot of these states not to be able to, you know, obviously collect as much in sales taxes as they otherwise would have. Um, and not to mention all the other taxes that they would have mm-hmm. from consumption that hasn't been happening. And so obviously politically in the federal government, the, you know, the Democrats, the Republicans and all that, they've been talking about doing state bailouts, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So these states have all these fixed costs, Obviously, they have state employees, they have bureaucrats, they have roads, they have lights, they have all the things that states and cities pay for. Those bills are still going to come due. And yet, they, so like if you're a state or a city and you're trying to um, you know, decide whether or not you want to put out some money to build a road. Now, in Texas and such, they will raise it through bonds and borrowing money and things like that that you know, they'll pay a certain yield on and all this other stuff. But for the most part, it's done through taxes. So uh, let's think of it more practically. You're in the state of California, and in the state of California, you have uh, a bunch of fixed costs from running public school. Teachers, obviously the administrators, the buildings, all the things that are associated with that. Now, that money has been typically paid for uh, through uh, property taxes, and other states operate the same way. I'm pretty sure California pays through all that through property taxes. Well, if all of a sudden, and I'm sure it's a lot of it's also subsidized through sales taxes and all the taxes. So the money goes into the state. The money then decides how it's going to spend this, the money. If all of a sudden the state doesn't have the same resources because some of its income sources from sales tax receipts and whatnot have essentially been depleted dramatically. And then now you're seeing this complete reshuffling of the how the economy works. So not only is it the temporary loss of sales tax receipts from the slowdown in the economy from uh, COVID, but now it's the all these businesses that won't come back. So what these cities and these states are going to do, and we started seeing this in all of all places in Dallas, Texas. We started reading through, you know, we have Google Alerts set up for all this stuff for all of our major markets. We have the most coaching clients. We have tons of coaching clients in Texas. We always like to keep a watch out for the things that are the canary in the coal mines. And we started seeing these individual cities starting to talk about what they're going to do in 2021. And all of them are planning on raising property taxes. And in, in specific areas around Dallas, they're trying to figure out what the legal amount is, the absolute highest amount that they can raise property taxes by in one year. And there's a big debate going on about how much it's going to be. I mean, Julie and I were reading the same articles and we didn't even understand because some of them looked like they're proposing making the property tax rate go from like 3%, which is high, to something like 6 6.5%. Now, we are not experts at this. Don't hold us to this or don't quote us to that. But the point is, is that all these cities and states are hustling for the same thing. And this morning, I was reading about something that is being talked about happening in California. And I sent Julie these crib notes for the sake of sharing them with you guys. Like, and they actually, I think they're calling it the wealth tax. No, no, go just further to, up. Go further up. Even 
Well, yeah, I sent you a see. bunch of information before. Okay, about the top right. Uh, the top federal top federal tax to be fifty four percent. I think it's thirty eight no, no. now. So, right? so I I didn't send you very good notes. I sent you good notes in the second part. Sorry, okay. listeners. All right. So what the Democrats are proposing, and you guys can read this online yourselves, is they're proposing that the top federal rate be raised from i think it's 36 or it was 39 38 and now to 54 percent and california is up to 17 percent to 54 percent so the top federal rate would go to 54 percent and the top state rate in california would go to 17 percent that's for the you know top income earners and that doesn't include property taxes or sales tax or registration fees or conveyance fees or all the other taxes that you pay so it's possible that in California, if you're a top earner, and I don't know what the top bracket is in California, but I'm yeah. guessing it's not that much. Probably not. Can you Google that? Yep. 71.7 is your next stat you're working on. Right. So if you add those two numbers together, what they're proposing is that in the state of California, hypothetically, the top, and obviously this is going to be bantied about, but this is what politicians are proposing, that the top income that someone would stay between, pay between the federal and the state would be over 70%. Okay, 70%, if you're in the top income bracket, would go to state and federal taxes. Now, that's not even the worst of it. Um, and, and Julie's going to do this homework really quick. Remember, you got to turn your Wi-Fi off to make it work up here. Yeah. Okay, and then what you're going to see is you're going to see that you're also, they're proposing what's called essentially a wealth tax. Now, the wealth tax, and this was really fascinating, is going to, I mean, fascinating in a bad way, right? <laughs> it, they're going to tax, now just hear me out, I'll give you the details as I understood it. As an individual who has a net worth of $15 million and a married couple who has a net worth of $30 million, this is what, this is how it relates to you. Now you're thinking to yourself, that's crazy, I don't have that kind of net worth, but stay tuned because I'm going to tell you how this is this is going to affect you no matter whether you're worth, you know, uh, whether you're a DECA millionaire or not, okay? So here we go. In the state of California, like I said, if you, again, this is a proposal, these are ideas. So you're going to have, if you're a top earner and you have an income of, you and your wife have a top, uh, you know, income where you're going to be paying the 71% tax rate, not including property taxes and the rest of it. And now you have a net worth of say $30 million. You're doing well, no doubt. But that $30 million, guys, just to put this in perspective, it's going to be in assets that you own. It might be, like, say, for example. Well, but that's the difference, too, right? So there's two things. One is the percent is going up. Right. And the other one is that you're going to actually have all of your assets appraised, not just your house, not okay, just that, your tax Okay, that's return. the fascinating thing. Now, yeah. let me let me and, get... and keep in mind, Tim, that the top right now, all you have to earn is 295000 in California to have to pay 10.3% already. Is that their okay? top? No, that's the bot. Then it goes up from there. So three hundred fifty-four thousand, you're paying eleven point three five ninety and up twelve percent, and a million and up is thirteen percent. Okay, so you guys get the gist of it. So not only are they yeah, going to—that's currently where you're not what you're right. You know. So not only are they going to hypothetically raise the state taxes on just the highest end folks, but obviously they're going to trickle on down to everyone mm -hmm. else too. Um, so so there you go. There you're going to see if you're living in California hypothetically next year. And I'm not talking about the ethicity of taxes. We're not talking about any of that. We're just talking about pure numbers, okay? We're not talking about you know morals or ethics or any anything like that. I'm not trying to be political. I'm just trying to talk about pure numbers here. So in California, the bottom line is, is if you're what they deem to be a top earner, you're going to be paying 
of your income, of your top portion of your income, but all your other segmented, it's called a, what is it called? A a progressive tax Mm -hmm. where they tax you so much on your first, so much money and read the, can you read the brackets just because it's relevant to everybody? You didn't send that to me. No, I didn't send it to you. You have to Google it. Sorry. Um, You can just read the uh, uh, income brackets. Yeah, right. Well, so your brackets are basically 300,000, then 350, then 600, then a million. Well, it goes down from there, right? They only report on 300. Okay, so 300. You probably can't there. afford to live there unless you're 300. <laughs> That's right. But you're just reading. Okay, yeah, but then it, it goes the down too. And there's tax. Yeah. I think people, I think if you have a family of four and less. That than, was California. Let me see what federal is. Is that what you went? Uh, no, I went state taxes. Okay, so just stick California. with California. And the Google term would be California state tax, tax brackets. brackets. Yeah, there you go. Okay, and then what you're going to see is you're going to see that there's this wealth tax. Now, the wealth tax, as Julie just alluded to, means that every single year, if you live in California and this gets passed, you're going to start having to have all of your stuff appraised. Now, the tricky part of this is if you're working in, say, Amazon or Google, and you live in you know Palo Alto, and you have a nice house and nice lifestyle, you could very well have $30 million in stock. It's not unheard of. We've known people that have become incredibly wealthy off EXPI stock from EXP Realty. All right, so Julie just found it. Um, And she handed it to me because she didn't want to translate it. (laughs) Okay, so here it is. California tax brackets for single taxpayers. This is not married, right? So I'm going to, to Julie's point. All right, so if you're earning between 45 and 57,000, it's 8%. So if you're earning 57 and 295, it then goes to 9.3%. 295 to 354, then it's 10%. 354 to 590, then it goes to 11.3%. 590 to a million, then it goes to 12.3%. Over a million, it goes to 13%. And just putting it in perspective, um, it, their brackets are virtually identical if you're married too. Uh, just they they raise the income amounts. So what you're going to see is an increasing in the brack in the in the taxing brackets, starting probably around three hundred thousand, I would guess. So then this wealth tax thing, which is uh, really scary, because the state will be deciding what your assets are worth. You might be able to hire an appraiser, and some of you are thinking, well, I'll just say my, you know. My uh, house is worth this or it's not worth that. Well, you guys all know that property tax assessments always come in high. What makes you think that they're not going to basically overassess the value of all assets? And what then makes you think that they're A, it's, what does it start out at 0.4%, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it starts out at 0.4% and then it's reduced. Uh, I'm sorry, it's, it starts out at 0.4%. Um, what was I trying to say? I forget. And then, and then this proposed tax bracket, this tr- proposed wealth tax then it's charged on what they determine your net worth to be, meaning you're going to have to then have all your stuff appraised uh, every single year. And again, imagine the bureaucratic you're fiasco from all that. Probably at your cost too. I of course, imagine. of course, I you're going to have to pay them off and all assess. And so you're thinking, some of you might be thinking, well, I'll just keep my assets out of the state or I'll just move. Okay, guess what? Too late. And a part of this proposal too is if you've moved from California in the last 10 years, and you're no longer in California, you were a California resident, and you moved from California the last 10 years, let's say you've been living out of California for the last 10 years, they can actually, and you're living in Nevada, let's say, they can then go to Nevada and say, retroactively, you now owe us uh, for five years, uh, for the last five years since you moved out of California, but it's at a lesser rate. So, the, for example, it starts at 4%, but if you've lived out of California for uh, 10 years or for five years, then it, now it's That's at 0.2%, right? That's the idea. So then they're going to graduate it down. But the moral of the story is, is they get to follow you. So for those of you are going who are going to be paying attention to all these 
incredible taxes that are going to be passed in California or some version thereof. And you're thinking you're going to get the hell out too late. They're going to come after you anyway, no matter where you are. And it includes anywhere you are in the world. You could move to France. It does not matter. You're still going to owe this taxes. Um, so well, and for those of you who are thinking, oh, you know, so what? It's just rich people. It's not going to affect me. Well, it, it's going to go way beyond that. You and I were talking about why would you ever buy anything? You know, why would you ever invest in cars, art, houses, you name the asset? That's well, going to, you know, not be good for the economy in what, California. What some people will do is what you're saying is they'll buy things that don't necessarily have a paper trail. Right. And they'll buy art. They'll buy gold. They'll buy things like that. But mm-hmm. then then if they buy those assets and, there's, and those assets aren't included in their annual That's report right. to the state of what their net worth and is. And don't you think art dealers will have to be reporting on what they sold? Of course they will. Well, but sure, but those can be, all those transactions be done between intermediaries. But what I'm suggesting yeah. is, is they're going to force a bunch of people or a bunch of people are gonna to have to make a decision as to whether or not the, you know, the vacation house they have in Alaska that happens to have, mm-hmm. you know, who knows what in assets in the house, whether they're actually gonna be reporting all the value of all those assets. And if they don't, they're actually running afoul of the law. I know. So That's you're going to be forcing good. all these people to be potential uh, lawbreakers. It's very un-American. And then you can me. see the back-end revenue source on that because then yes, there's all course. the money of charging Bees all the penalties. And fines exactly. And penalties. None of which they like to negotiate. No. You guys haven't noticed. I know. And <laughs> so, so, guys, listen. I, I Look, there it is. It, we're not being political. We're not saying vote this Factual. way or vote the other way. These are just the types of things that we're going to have to, unfortunately, financially prepare for going forward. Every state, we use California because that's the only article I found, and it was on California. But what you see is typically other states follow California's lead. Like it usually goes California, then New York, and then you see all these other states that basically start modeling their taxing policy around what California's done. Um, you know, it's, it's just something that we all need to be aware of, and you just need to make very, very – if you're wondering why you haven't been able to accumulate the financial security that you wanted to in life – it used to be when people would ask, what's the you know greatest wealth destroyer for real estate people? We'd always say ego. Mm-hmm. And that was true because it was agents overspending on things that were just basically there to you know feed their ego. But now, in my opinion, it's taxes because the amount of taxes that people are going to be paying between states and cities and whatnot is going to be extraordinary. No matter really, frankly, I think who gets elected. So a strong suggestion to all of you as you look forward, depending on your age and all the rest of it, is really to be thinking hard about where in the country you want to live. And if if being financially well off and being rich where your money works for you, you no longer have to work for your money is important to you, you better start being strategic on you know things like your locality because that's really really going to matter more than it ever has it's always mattered but you know julie and i tell this story about when we sold real estate in columbus ohio um i remember after our first year you know we sold over 100 houses and in our first year in real estate we made hundreds of thousands of dollars and of course we were new agents we were young and dumb and we didn't keep track of anything right and then we started getting all these it it was we didn't even have really having an accountant you know so we kind of were putting it Why together. We need one until then. Yeah. Not really. But I remember we got this letter from Rita. And we thought... We, I thought Rita was a scam. Actually. We thought it was a scam. I'm pretty sure I threw a lot of that out. Exactly. So we got this letter, throwing out letters from tax people. Turned out to be Rita? A, what does that, she want? That turned out to be a bad idea, too, bad. if you remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. So it, Rita stood for Regional Income Tax Authority, yeah. right? So we thought we were getting this love letter from some lady who you know was accusing us of, of owing her money. You know, whatever, right? We were well, young. I mean, when you're already paying state and city and federal, we didn't realize that there were city taxes too. No one told us. Every city that? that we sold a house in, and when we were selling real estate in, in Central Ohio, 
would send us a re- request for money because they were tracking. <laughs> they, they were, were tracking. all different. You couldn't even take care of it easily. It was every zip code was different. Right. And, and guys, that went from anywhere from about a half percent to about 2%. But yeah. They, they varied greatly. And this was in the 90s. Yeah. Okay. So in the 90s, we would get, well, of course, we eventually figured it out that we have to then keep track of all the cities we're selling houses in, you know, but they would, they would track it too. And if you forgot, or if, if they uh, disagreed with what you were saying, you owed them, then guess what? Spending money with accountants and spending money on time and spending money just ex- essentially trying you. to prove that you yep. don't owe us, you know, whatever. So Look, I know that's not very motivational and that's not very inspirational. And well, but not... you do have choices in life. And, you know, that's why we try to educate people and get them thinking about things that maybe haven't occurred to them because it's not that exciting to think about that stuff. But then one day you open the bill and you find out there's somebody that's, ri- you know, there's an entity you actually do owe. And, you know, we try and have your back, basically, is why we discuss these things. Yeah. And so you guys got to be thinking about these things. They're really relevant Um to your Becoming future. more relevant, I think, as it, a result of COVID and lack of other ways that uh, cities are making their money. I mean, think of just like, you know, we had our condo in Laguna Beach when we were living in Nevada. And, you know, just, no, as a, and no. I'm talking about when we lived there, I used to read in the newspaper all the time about bed taxes and all of those little B&Bs and all the hotel taxes. They're not getting that revenue right now either. Yeah. So we had rental properties in Southern California that we sold years ago because we saw this coming. Yes. You know, and so the the rental properties we had, uh, you know, those didn't work. And I'll tell you a little kick in the shorts that we had when we sold those rental properties is that there was actually a tax that they charged. Transfer tax. A transfer tax because we weren't California residents. Mm -hmm. So these are all, again, these are things you guys need to be keeping in mind uh, as you move forward. All right. So now. And it's not always, it's not just California either, though. Thank God. We've got a lot of clients in Chicago that talk about their extra add-on taxes all the time, too. And, you know, it comes up on settlement statements and net sheets, and you guys have to know about this stuff. So. All right. So I found another fun article that um, <laughs> I, I, I sent this to Julie, and we both read it and found it to be largely amusing. And this, the thing I like best about it was is that it's not overtly a mindset article. <laughs> it's based on science, but it is really actually quite hilarious. So it is Julie, totally a mindset article once you get into it. Right. So, uh, this is called the 4% rule, and this was uh, originally from medium.com, and I love the subtitle, you'll never completely housebreak yourself. That's fine. Okay, so they talk in this article, let me just kind of get into this a little bit. Something or someone will always bug you. Sometimes the someones and some things of the world will gang up on you. You guys have all had days like this, right? You have to keep it together or at least make an effort. Okay, and maturity doesn't just hit you, you've got to keep yourself in check. Well, if we're not careful, we can morph back into our primate ancestors. Now, here's an interesting quote from Stephen Hawking's, Hawking. Uh, we are just an advanced breed of monkeys on a minor planet of a very average star. But he then follow, follows up with something important. But we can understand the universe. That makes us something very special. So the point is that we are still animals. We get upset. We fight over turf. We watch, uh, just, it says, just watch a video of chimps. We'll talk about that in a second. And think about your day. None of us can act as mature as we claim. We act like apes, but we also can understand the universe. And that's something. So what is the 4% rule? The 4% rule uh, points to the fact that we share 96% of our DNA with chimpanzees. Okay, The other 4% makes us different. Now, this is a true story. Chimpanzees nearly killed a man over a birthday cake. Okay? Was it a man or a monkey? No, the chimpanzees almost killed a a human okay okay over the birthday cake and not only that i researched this oh boy and 
it wasn't just like some random guy that, you know, was in a zoo or something. It was actually this chimpanzee, uh, it was basically at a chimp sanctuary, okay, where like zoos that don't want their chimps anymore send them and some of them were pets or whatever. Hey, well, can we get a pet monkey? No, and here's why. <laughs> I'm gonna be really clear <laughs> exactly why, okay? So uh, basically, um, the, this particular chimp was getting visited by people who had raised it since it was little, and they got in trouble because it had been kind of violent with people, and they ended up in a sanctuary. Well, they still wanted to visit their chimp, and so they went there to the sanctuary. It had a house, and they were making birthday cake for him. Okay, well, meanwhile, there were four other chimps that basically figured out how to get out of their enclosures and watched this birthday cake being made. Okay, <laughs> now they, they, the special birthday chimp was in his enclosure and being good, so he wasn't the one that instigated it. These other chimps saw this happening. They wanted the cake, okay? Mm. They actually broke into the house. Two of them were caught before it happened. The other two broke into the house and literally just mauled the actual guy that was trying to take care of the chimp. All good intentions, right? Okay, so the point is that the chimps executed a coordinated attack on the primary keeper out of sheer jealousy. Only one of the chimps got cake and the others didn't. No reason, it's just that simple. Kind of like how people react to every last thing. It's like your initial reaction, you know, let's let's kill somebody. So it talks about how the 96% um, we act out of impulse, just like chimps. Well, well the, the theory, the, the, here's the theory. Get basically, preoccupied. No, go ahead. The, the theory was basically that we're 96% uh, chimp DNA. Yes. And there's only 4% of our DNA that's actually different. Yeah, that's why we wig out initially is because you can't suppress you that. You skip that part. But that's, that, that's, that's the essence of the article is that basically we're 96% like the chimps. And you can't ditch it. It is in your DNA. That's the scientific part, right? And yet we're 4% different, and that contains your higher reasoning and social skills. It contains your ability to calm down and think through obstacles. So you, But you've got to train yourself to use the 4% or the 96% will come out. Okay, so uh, You can just read it, Julie. Uh, chimpanzee possesses the intellectual and moral reasoning of a six-year-old. Many of us know adults who devolve into their six-year-old selves immediately. Why? Because it's really easy. You're wired to do that. 96% of a person will always want to throw a tantrum, especially when we feel justified. Um, not throwing a tantrum will always call for more restraint than you think it should. It always feels hard. It can always wear you out. So ease up on yourself because the 4% takes a lot of work. So what you're saying is those two, those monkeys that mauled that guy for the birthday cake, we should feel they're sorry for them because they were tired. They were tired. That was, they were using <laughs> well, a lot of energy. And they didn't have a 4%. Well, this is a great little list. Okay, so how do you strengthen that 4%? How do you hone it so you minimize the self-sabotage? Uh, 4% of you, things to remember, here's your list. 4% of you do know, 4% of your, it says of you, that means your persona, right? Uh, knows the right decision to make. 4% of you knows there's probably an easier solution. 4% of you knows that you're overthinking. 4% of you knows how to delay gratification. 4% of you knows how to calm down and strategize, to learn new skills, to question your gut, to shut up and listen, and knows that it's not that bad. And I thought it was interesting they said that, you know, the 96% has the reasoning power of a six-year-old. I've seen tests of six-year-olds, and one of the things is the delayed gratification, right? Which was the chimps problem with the birthday cake. They all wanted it and they couldn't control themselves. So one of the tests for, I think it's five and six year olds is if you're, if you can handle waiting on a marshmallow. So if you wait till the end of the day or the end of the test session, you get two or three marshmallows or you can have one now. 
And like none of them can wait, even though they get a reward at the end. They we all did, want the marshmallow. We need to do that test with Zoe. Oh, she, you know what? She tried to scarf him the other day, <laughs> and I caught her in the bathroom. I'm like, Zoe, what are you doing? And are you she, kidding she me? Because I have a headache, and they don't taste that good anyway. I'm in here rinsing my mouth out. It's too sugary. <laughs> do you mean and I'm she, like, duh. <laughs> you mean she snagged a bunch of marshmallows? I think she only ate two of them, but still. I mean, for somebody that weighs 36 pounds, that's like, I don't know. 500 grams of sugar probably or the equivalent <laughs> but yeah i mean that so that's what they're saying is you know when you devolve to your 96 percent you're basically using your six-year-old brain and you can tell when you see social media when you hear voicemail from agent to agent negotiations people wig out really easily you can finish reading the article too it's fascinating okay. the, the, the reason i particularly like this article because i realized that essentially it's it is the 96 percent of our brains that are essentially running most things in life nowadays and it goes back to one of the things that julia and I always say is, you know, do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. That's only something the 4% of your brain's even going to understand. The 96% of your brain's going to say, I want that cake now. Exactly. So (laughs) in other words, 4% of you already knows how to get the birthday cake without ever having to kill anyone. But it gets drowned out. We don't listen to it because 96% of us wants to grab the tree branch and start beating people. Well, so, stop and there. And our feces. So stop us. there. Yes. <laughs> so stop there. What? Okay, so here's that's fascinating too, right? Mm-hmm. So I know when you and I are saying what we say during our normal podcast, and we are telling people to do what they don't want to do and they sure. don't want to do it at the yes. highest level, they know it's true. Uh-huh. And when we say things like, you're not doing your job every day unless you're putting yourself in a position to hear the word no at least five times a day, yep. we know that that's true, and so do they. They that's know right. it's true, the 4% too. 4% of them knows it's right. true. Right, and yet, read that last bit again. And yet, uh, we don't listen to it because 96% of us wants to grab the tree branch and start flinging our feces. And it likes that. 96% of you actually likes doing that. You're pre-wired to do it. That is your uh, 96% that's of all of us, not of you guys, but everyone, right? We're that's all right. like this. Uh, that's the social media. That's the easy button stuff. That's the instant satisfaction stuff. That's the reason that so many of you guys never really, you know, what are the reasons, obviously, so many uh, business owners and humans in general never get anywhere because they want the instant satisfaction, not willing to forgo. And I actually made a list around those points, too, mm-hmm. which I'll be more than happy to share in a second. Okay. Go ahead. Well, so it says, uh, just if, read. if you want to make a lot of money or achieve a lot of status, you have to stop trying and just get really good at something like doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it being the best at the things that matter. We trick ourselves into thinking little things matter more than they do. Every week, something happens with the potential to throw us off of our game. We lose focus, start chasing the low-hanging fruit. Why? Because it's in the it's within your reach. After all, we're still primates. So having something or anything that makes us uh, feel safe or productive, the cycle never ends, but you can shorten it. So it talks about refocusing your purpose and asking yourself, you've got six questions, short questions to ask. What's the most important thing that you have to get done today? What's the most important thing you want to get done today? Why do you need or want those things? What's stopping you? What can you do about it? And where does today fall on your bigger scheme? So those are all, you know, mindset points. But we talk a lot about that. We drill down about this Constantly. every day on the yeah. podcast and certainly in the Harris Rules book. Um, <laughs> there was a funny thing that this person wrote. Uh, so stop getting upset over birthday cake. You can change some realities, but not every single one of them. The best of us still still sink endless hours into complaining, bickering, or brooding. You'll never reach a point where you stop that completely, unless you're Jesus, in which case, welcome back. (laughs) If you're not divine, here's how I talk myself through the difficulties, usually difficulties caused by other people. Sometimes I call a trusted friend and we'll do it together. This is also why we have coaching. Um, The questions are, what's actually bothering you? Are you justified in feeling that way? Can you confront the person and resolve it? 
Is there an indirect way to handle the problem? Will the, this is uh, something I use in coaching at all. I know it's in our book too. Will this matter to you in five days, five minutes, five seconds? We talk about waiting 30 seconds or 30 minutes to call somebody back when they're being volatile with you. What about in five weeks or five months? How important is it actually? Um, Usually something small like a birthday cake hardly ever matters in five weeks or five minutes, yet people torch their careers over things like this all the time. We get fixated on that cake and what the cake represents, something we probably could have gotten in an easier way. But the trick is to catch yourself before you've blown up your life over something like cake, cake being the metaphor for whatever's bothering you. Uh, there's something better that you can do besides stew in your negativity, attack someone, or give up before the game's over. That doesn't mean the negativity goes away forever. The more you ignore your 96% thinking somehow you've tamed it, the more damage it can do. Part of you is wild and always will be. As for myself, I begin my day with the dimmest hope of getting anything I wanted. I leverage my 4%, wind up with some pretty decent cake if I don't say so myself. Didn't even have to murder anyone. So can you. Be wild, but also get some of that delicious cake. Tell them they can read. actually pretty well Tell them they can read. That was hilarious. This is medium.com. Medium.com. Yeah. Who's the author? And it's... The author is Jessica Wildfire, which is a great name. And the name of the article is Practice the 4% Rule to Get Exactly What You Want. You'll never completely housebreak yourself, but that's fine. Yeah, I thought that, that was really fun. Article. Well, really but good. it does really drill down on the sort of from a scientific yeah. biological perspective why it's so hard for people to well, fight against ninety six percent. And they're so reactionary, you know. Well, you know, it's the whole it's the echo chamber thing that's going on too mm-hmm. because it's being reinforced. The whole idea that you're supposed to appeal to your emotions anytime someone's oh, trying yeah. to manipulate your, your exact. Well, okay, you're teeing me up here perfectly. So after reading that article and thinking about what to talk to you guys about today. Um, I wrote this down and it's what it's kind of a gimmicky title. I'll give you that. But what is the, you know, the secret that rich people know that everybody else ignores and what you're going to de- I wrote down these just sort of, you know, I think they're orderly points. Um, and these are all sort of the drill down interpretations of what Julie just read to you. And it really does matter how you think about how to allocate your time. And, and first of all, I think it's, it is important to remember that you can't have a highly efficient day it is almost impossible to orderly to have an orderly day for more than you know realistically if you wake up in the morning till about noon if you can control what you do during that time and you get three to five things done every single day that are going to put yourself in a position to help people and make money that's a great day that really is it absolutely And, and we coach all of our clients to just focus on you know we talk about this in our podcast we talk about this in our book Make your life simple. Just focus on the successful accomplishment. Start out by one thing and then work up to maybe five. Don't go much more than that because then you start not doing the other things at the same high level. And it's a combination of uh oh, can you grab that? Yep. It's a it's a combination of things maybe. that are going to obviously you're plugged in that are they're designed to make you money, but also a combination of things that are going to design to you know take care of your body and take care of your relationships too. Perfect. So we suggest things like well, one of the first things, <laughs> Julie is crawling around, trying to pull right up here. my notes. All right, I'm going around. you're going around. Okay, good. So th- like, you want to make sure, and I said this earlier. And I say this because I, it always makes people gasp. But if you're not putting yourself in a position to hear the word no at least five times a day, you're not doing your job. Now, it doesn't have to be a, you know, a no of someone slamming the door in your face and sticking the dog on you. That's not what I'm suggesting. It can be a no that's just maybe a no not right now. 
but you have to be putting yourself in a position to at least get the no in one variation or another. And what so many of you guys have done is you've uh, soft, you've you know nerfed yourselves up, right? Everything around you is nothing has any sharp edges, and so as a result of that, you're not conditioned to even be in a position psychologically to hear anything other than um, you know. A more echo chamber type stuff. People don't even say yes to you. It's just social networking. It's just malaise. There's no real anything that's happening as a result of your efforts during the course of a day. And if you happen across the lead, uh, you know, that decides to transact with you, you don't really know how that lead came about, or you don't know necessarily how to replicate that. It's not something that's duplicatable. So you don't really have a business. And then you just stay stuck in this whole echo chamber of the 96%. So what we strongly encourage all of you guys to do is put yourselves in a position where you're going to be having proactive conversations with actual sellers every single day where at least you know five times a day someone can say no to you. No, no, flat out no or no, not right now. And by going through the discomfort of you know psychologically anticipating the no and then maybe even hearing the no, you're going to move faster to not experience that discomfort and that pain anymore. By nerfing yourself up and making it so it's all about you know CRM follow-ups and Twittering and TikTok videoing and Instagramming and all this other stuff, by putting yourself in a position where all you're doing is passive stuff, one of the reasons that that is attractive to you is because you're trying to avoid the real work, which is putting yourself in a position to hear no. The way you avoid hearing the no is by knowing what to say that it essentially mastering sales skills. That's in essence all we're talking about here. So when you learn how to say things, you learn how to say things that you know convince folks that you're here to help them and solve their problem, they're not going to say no to you. So the fear of rejection, let alone being rejected, will cause you to move faster than had you just basically decided to you know do what most agents and people in life do, where they do everything possible to never hear the, hear the word no. Does this make sense, Julie? Yeah, and I would add to that that, it yes, it's learning the skills and the scripts to be able to have those conversations so you feel more comfortable even asking in a situation where you could hear no. But it also takes some guts to be willing to earn while you learn and do it anyway, even if you don't have the perfect script worked out in your head. Because here's a little known fact. We say it in coaching all the time. You'll never have the script worked out until you've practiced it in the real world, not yep. just on role play partners, not just listening to it, writing it down, yada, yada, studying it, watching blah, blah, blah. Okay, you have to actually use it because if you're only practicing it with yourself or with somebody who's predictable. Who's also practicing you're it. You're only practicing 50% of the situation anyway because right. you're not getting any feedback. And right. you'll never know how to deal with a real objection. You have to become okay. That's why in coaching we have something called scripts to save your bacon. I wanted to call it something else, but I was edited out of that scripts to save your ass. On our book? Oh, yeah. they wouldn't okay. use the word no. ass? No, it's scripts <laughs> to save your bacon. Thank you, editors. Um, but we have that also, po it's in the book, but it's also posted um, on for our student class site. And it, it's things like, you know, remember that it's okay not to have the answer. It's okay to say, you know what, that's a great question. Let me write it down and get you an answer this evening. Even if it's something you have no idea. You know, I get questions in Premier Coaching all the time from people who have never sold commercial, never done a rental property, don't know what a 1031 exchange is. It's just stuff that's out of their wheelhouse, right? That's okay, they're doing the right thing. They're coming to the call, they're asking questions. They're saying, hey, you're not gonna believe what I just said yes to. I told this person yes, it'd be my pleasure to help them. And what the heck does this mean? It's okay. But until you become okay with that, you're gonna earn less money, you're gonna learn less. You're going to only have a limited toolkit. And that means you're gonna have a limited career and a limited life. Well, and 
drilled exactly what she just said and drilling down on that's probably one of the biggest reasons why 85% of all realtors fail out of real estate. And by the way, the uh, statistic is true for all small business owners within like 18 months or less. So there's a sad fact for you. And it's again, because people are not putting themselves in a position to hear the word no. And life is surrounded by, um, you know, everyone who's saying, oh, you just got a social network. You just got a bond. You just got a blah, 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 blah. Nobody out there except... (coughs) Julie and I and Jeb Blunt, frankly, are telling the truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate and sales and in life. And it's learning the sales skills that if you don't know them, will result in the word no. And the more fear you have hearing the word no, the quicker you're going to learn your sales skills. And I like what Julie said there as well. The whole role playing idea where you're going to practice your scripts. I got a better idea for you. Just jump right into the deep end. Pick up the phone and call for sale by owner. Call an unrepresented owner, you know, aka FISBO. Call an expired. Call the different sources of people we teach you guys how to, you know, communicate with all these uh, sellers. People have their hands up in the air saying, "Yes, I want to sell my house." Role play with them. They won't know you're role playing. You know, it's so funny. They when agents really get this, and they just they're like, "Okay, I'm not perfect at this. Maybe I got my script in front of me. Maybe I've been practicing it. I'm just." I'm going to do it today. I'm going to call FISBO. I'm going to call an expired, whatever. It's so funny. At least a couple times a week, I'll hear from coaching clients. They'll be like, you're not going to believe this. I know. I called three for sale by owners, and I got a listing appointment. And I'm like, what did you think was supposed to happen? They have a house for sale. They have their phone number in the yard. You at least allegedly sell homes for a living. Doesn't it make sense? For the love of God, that you would talk to each other. You know what I, but the, they're always so shocked. They're like, oh my God, they're so nice. It's so so true. And you know, the biggest <laughs> so bunch funny. of BS that I read is when agents rationalize not doing the proactive work because they say everybody's calling for sale by owners. Oh, that's so not oh true. I, I was going to go after expired, but everybody calls expired or everyone's no. soliciting expired. No, no, they're not. Oh, that's God. the reason I decided to become the king of TikTok. I'm going to become the mayor of my city through Instagram, right? No, that's not really the truth. The truth is, is that you're doing the easy thing. You're not doing the hard thing, which by the way, goes back to the article. You are essentially not doing what the 4%, the higher self, the the actual human part of you knows to do. Remember I said, these points were things that everyone intuitively knows and ignores. Not everyone, obviously. The wealthiest people in the, you know, certainly real estate, but in the world know to do what they don't want to do and they don't want to do it at the highest level. All right, so this next point, and this is something that's kind of fascinating too, um, is that the road to success is rarely exciting. The road to basically being rich where your money works for you, you no longer work for your money, is boring. Doing the real work of life is boring. You're not supposed to be excited. What you want ultimately is you want a boring business to predict boring, predictable income. That's what you want. Don't seek the excitement. Don't seek the novel. (laughs) Don't seek the shiny, bright light. That will keep you broke. Well, in in the book, it's called uh, Repetitious Boredom Pays Off. And to your point, you, you know, you don't really want drama in your business. You want it replicatable, duplicatable. And people who really embrace that and don't just dabble in their income spokes, they get that because it's, yes, it's repetitious boredom, but yes, it pays off. And so all the people around you, especially on social networking, we always go back to that because it is a bit of a, you know, a cesspool in essence. It's where the 96% of all people live is on social networking for the most part. But when you look at it, right, they want the drama. That's what they talk about. Every single post, it seems, well, you know, for the most part on Twitter and whatnot, it's all about drama. That's because that's all their monkey brains that are pulling them into thinking like that. Um, So next point I wrote down, 
I'm trying to read my notes. Oh, this one's a good one. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be educated. And you don't have to be lucky to actually be rich. And again, I want to drill down on the word rich because some of you guys are, you know, finding that, that finding that word a little bit hard to, you know, fathom because maybe something in your head thinks that that's a bad, um, you know, goal. It's not. Rich is very simple. It's where your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money. So you could be rich if you have as little, like say your personal overhead is $7,500 a month. If you had $7,500 a month coming in completely passively and no rental properties is not completely passively, you are by definition rich, right? That's it. That's what rich is. So it's simple. It's a goal that everyone can accomplish in their lifetime. It doesn't have to be 10 million or 20 million. It's 7,500 bucks. And I'll tell you right now, or whatever your number is, the easiest way, the quickest way to attain that particular goal is going to be without a doubt. And I haven't seen anything other than winning the lottery or inheriting a bunch of money, or maybe your high school buddy is Mark Zuckerberg, 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 you know, and they're gonna, he's gonna somehow give you a bunch of money in his IPO, right? Something like that. The best opportunity for all of you guys to create true passive wealth that I've seen in my career in the last 30 years is definitely working with EXP Realty. I've never seen anything like it. The real estate end of the business is phenomenal. It offers the best of whatever the best real estate brokerages do. But on the flip side of it, and the thing that really is, I think, such a game changer for agents and everyone is that they have built in a system where agents can make actual honest-to-God revenue share, and agents can also basically be uh, you know, rewarded with stock. And look at the stock value from EXPI this year. It's gone from like $8, now it's trading in the low 30s. There is a generational group, there's a generational wealth that's being formed right now for those who are smart enough to align themselves with EXP. If you guys want to talk about EXP, talk about joining Julie and I at EXP, because we are absolutely positively with EXP Realty, in case we were not clear enough with you about that, do consider texting me directly and we can have an EXP conversation. My cell phone number is 512-758-0206. So if you're interested in Julie, joining Julie and I's EXP family, please feel free to text me at 512-758-0206. All right, so the next point, and again, this is the same point, but I'm going to say it again, is you really don't have to be lucky. You don't have to be smart, and you don't have to be educated. You don't have to be born under a lucky star or with a silver spoon to be rich in this country because, of, frankly, in real estate, there's so many different ways that you can make a very nice living. But in addition to that, when you make the smart move of aligning yourself with eXp Realty, then you can create multiple streams of income, yeah. right? I mean, that's a no-brainer. Well, I mean, the crazy thing is how much you can fast-forward I know. To that wealth. I mean, it, and it doesn't take, you don't have to recruit hundreds of agents. You don't have to recruit thousands. Of, you don't have to recruit at all if you don't want to. But let's say that you did, you know, five or 10 agents who are just going to ask you about it. it. It doesn't take that much to totally fast forward your trajectory. I mean, even if it was just an ex, extra, right? Even if it was a predictable, duplicatable three to five grand, maybe 7,500 bucks a month, but it was every month and it was predictable and duplicatable, and you invested all of that, and you just ran your business like you always have. Well, let me, let me put Think this in the difference. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.